Well, uh, we are in the series in Colossians, and uh, if you have your Bibles and want to look there with me, we're in Colossians chapter 3. Um, last week, we were talking about this idea of drawing near to God and setting our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And we, we talked about this idea of how we are participating with God in this transformational work that he's doing within us. And uh, last week, most of the examples that we talked about were, were this idea of taking off things. We're going to take off this and that and the other thing, and we're going to put to death these other things. So there's kind of this long list of things that, that he's saying, you know, you're no longer like that. You used to be like that, but you're not like that anymore. So just don't even go down that trail. Don't even think about that stuff. But in this section, uh, Paul says that, that, you know, since we're dead to those things and we're now beloved and, and alive in Christ... Uh, then, then let's just live like Jesus. Let's just live like Jesus. So today we're going to talk about living like Jesus, and uh, it's in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. And if you want to follow along, let me read that passage for us as we get started. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in deed, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, Paul talks to us about uh, four things in this passage of Scripture um, that, that he's talking about. If we're going to live like Christ, if we're going to live like Jesus, these are four things that we need to be mindful of. And he, he starts out with this idea, and I kind of summarize it, is just putting on the love of Christ, the love of Christ. Uh, we're we're going to have to learn to do that. And Paul uses this idea of clothing ourselves uh, in, in, a, in a different way. And we dress differently because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's kind of the way you, you begin to recognize someone who is in Christ because they, they begin to function differently. They act differently. They think differently. They're, they're clothing themselves with different things. He's telling them, therefore, as God's holy chosen people, uh, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievance you may have against each other, and forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. And this is this picture of, of putting on clothes. And, and this idea is kind of, a, kind of a cool idea because clothes is something you do every day, right? I mean, this is a regular thing that you do. It's not something you did once and you're done. This is a, a daily exercise. You're putting on clothes. You're, you're covering up uh, the things that need to be covered up. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad for clothes, aren't you? You would hate to see me naked. I can tell you, it's not a pretty picture. I've seen it, and you don't want to be there. And, and, you know, so he tells us, well, what are these clothes that we're supposed to put on? Well, he just told us this long list of things. And, and I want us to take a moment and just begin to think about this long list of stuff, this, you know, patience and kindness and gentleness and all that kind of stuff. And, 
You know, we read these kind of passages, these verses that have this long list of things like that, and so often we just kind of blow right by them, and, and sometimes we blow right by them because we say, oh, well, I know these lists. Yeah, I've read these lists, I, I got these lists, and we kind of go, and we just blow right through, and we say, well, let's get down to the really good, meaty theological stuff, and, you know, and, and we, we kind of blow by them. Or sometimes we blow by them because we know how much we struggle with them. <laughs> The reality is we actually do struggle with them. And it is a challenge to live out these kinds of things. And so that's kind of why I want to talk a little bit about them today, just to kind of say, just to get a grasp on what's the idea of what he's talking about in these things. So I'm just going to kind of fly through this. My, my staff said to me today, as we pray every morning before, before services start, and they looked at the outline and they said, Pastor, you're never going to finish. And I said, <clears throat> I said, yes, I will. I'm going to fly like the wind. So sharpen your pencils, and we're going to fly. So here we go. So we talk about compassion, and compassion is to feel deeply for another person or situation. And, and, and this originally, this word compassion comes from this idea of the bowels of sympathy, the bowels of sympathy. And, and really, it makes more sense. We talk about feeling in the heart. You have a, I have a heart for something. I feel it. But where do you feel stuff? It's in your gut, Right? You, you, you know, you kind of, you have this thing. I, 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 we, we say the phrase, I just have this gut feeling. Well, yeah, well, that's kind of what the ancients had that idea that's in your gut. And so I, I do this thing. When Norma walks in the room, I, I get this little flittery, flattery thing going on in my stomach. I get this little something happen in there, you know, and you kind of know those things. When we see something, when we see brokenness, it, it makes us sick to our stomach, doesn't it? I mean, those are the kinds of things he's saying. And, and you get to kind of get the idea of that. But compassion is, is the sense of feeling what God feels. Compassion is a sense of feeling. And, and Paul's saying, you know, we're going to be like Jesus. We need to be people that actually are moved and touched by stuff. We need to have compassion. We need to feel when we see people or situations and brokenness or, or joy or whatever it is. We, we need to have that kind of sense in that. And that's what he's talking about, that compassion, that sense of feeling deep feeling for another person or situation. Second one he talks about is kindness, and this is the idea of putting, others, putting the needs of others in front of our own. And Christ talks about like that, and the scriptures talk about that in many different places. But it shows up in our actions and our deeds. It shows up in, in how the little things that we do all day long, doesn't it? It's just the kindness. I, you meet somebody, we had, a, we had a young man that lived with us, and he was from the South, and I don't know what it is about Southern guys, but this guy was the most kind, polite kind of guy you'd ever want. Every word out of his mouth was just like butter. It's, I know, honey and butter. It just kind of came out that way. But it, it just shows up in the little stuff in what you say and what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do, you know, those kinds of things. It just happens all day long. It's the attention that we give to people who are talking to us. It's the little kindnesses that we do to one another. And, and it, it's how we see people. We just see people with kindness. And he's saying... That's kind of the character of Christ. He talks about humility. He says to, humility is to think more of God and others than we do ourselves. You know, too often we think about humility and we think, well, humility is thinking less of me. But that's not really what it's saying here. Humility is this idea of thinking more of God and others than we do of ourselves. And that's different because you can still feel good about yourself but it's just saying, I feel better, more for God and others around me. And that, that's a, there's a difference there. And it's like, that's the kind of humility he's talking about. Gentleness, gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. See, it's an amazing paradox that, that strength is revealed in gentleness. 
you know, anybody can come in and blow something up, right? Anybody can come and explode on somebody. Anybody can, you know, that, that's not strength. That's just explosiveness. But, but, but real strength is that measure of, of how you use it, how you control it. And we see that in Christ all the time. Here is Christ who had all power and all authority. You know, he could have called down, you know, angels and he could have had all the help he wanted. But in the middle of his strength, he just had this gentleness about him that said, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. It's strength in control. That's gentleness. It talks about patience, and patience is this consistent endurance. It's not for a moment, but patience is this characteristic that is ongoing. And, you know, we all know what patience is, but we don't have time to define it. We just can't, can't take that up. It, it shows up. It shows up in everything that we do. It, it's just kind of there. I was in traffic this week. I was driving, uh, making a turn, and there was a, there was a truck, and then there was a car, and then there was me, and, and the light was red, and then it turned green, and the truck didn't move, and the guy in front of me, I could see, was just going ballistic. I mean, he was like, I mean, he was waving at the back of this truck, and he was trying to see, and he couldn't see what was going on, but I was fur enough back. I was fur enough back. I don't know where that came from. I was like, whoa, I'm back in Texas again. I was far enough back that, that I could see there was a pedestrian in the crosswalk. And finally, this guy, he had one of those really nice little sporty cars, and man, he squealed his tires, and he zipped around that truck, and zipped around, and man, he, he was gone. And I just thought, you know, we'd never do that, would we? Maybe. <laughs> well, I hope not. I might. I thought that might happen. Okay. I suspect it. Am I good? Oh, good. So we, we, uh, we, we talk about this idea of patience, and we've just got to do that. And we think, okay, well, here we are. But, uh, but it is endurance to say, you know what, I don't have to respond like that in all those times. And, and Christ says, you know, you can be patient. Put that on. You can be patient with situations and people and stuff like that. Uh, the sixth thing he talks about, he talks about this idea, I'm, I'm kind of putting a couple together, he talks about this idea of, of bearing and forgiving grievances. And, and this is the idea of not exacting payment. Uh, that, that's kind of important. Because, because the reality is, we understand this, that, that people do things. And people would include you and me, Right? We, we do things that, that rub people the wrong way, and at, at the very least, I mean, we're talking gentle with each other. We rub people the wrong way periodically, and, and if we're worse, sometimes uh, there are just intentional acts of malice. I know none of you would do that, but, but, but there are, there's just stuff that happens in life and in interacting with one another. But this idea of bearing and forgiving is the, is the concept of of not exacting payment. It's to say, you are justified, you would be justified in exacting payment for the way somebody treated you, right? You would be justified in doing those things. But, but Paul is saying to them here, but when you're saying, I'm going to bear with one another, I'm going to forbear, I'm going to give up the right to exact payment on some, some penalty, a penalty that has been done, and I'm going to not go down that trail. I'm going to, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to let it go. And, and we are having this example because he's saying to you, that's the way Christ has dealt with you. You have been forgiven, so forgive others and, and bear with one another in the midst of what they do. 
You know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Have you heard that one? Maybe you don't, don't raise your hand. I'm sorry. I, I always ask you to do that. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Don't raise your hand. But I, you, you may have said that. You may have heard that. I've heard that many times. And, and it, it has always kind of concerned me because I, I had in my head to say, well, if you've really forgiven somebody, you need to forget it. You need to forget it. Uh, but I read something this week that said, uh, made me kind of back up from that a little bit uh, and said, you know, you probably are never going to forget it. But it is how you function with it that really reveals if you have forgiven or not. And so I, I just want to give you three things that will help us understand. You'll, you'll know. If you've forgiven somebody, you're going to be here. The first one is this, is that you don't bring the matter up with the person you've forgiven. I mean, if you've forgiven them, it's not something you continually bring up to them. So your friend has done something really bizarre to you, and you said, oh, it's okay, forget it, I forgive you, it's fine. And, you know, two weeks later, they're coming, and you say, you know, it's just like the other day when you did that, you did it again. Have you ever said that, guys, to your wife? It's just like you did. I've done that. Okay, ooh, yeah, I confess that. I have a memory like crazy. But if you've really forgiven it, you don't bring it up to the other person again. And, and if you're bringing it up to the other person, that ought to be a little light that goes off and says, hmm, maybe I need to uh, go back and pray about this a little more because I probably haven't truly forgiven it. Now, the second thing says, if you've really forgiven it, you're not going to gossip about it to other people. Okay? That's that idea to say, well, if I've really forgiven somebody about it, I don't need to tell 10 people what I did or what I forgave or what they did to me or any of that kind of stuff. You don't need to go down that trail. And that when, if you're going down that trail and telling a bunch of people, you know, this is what happened. You know, she said this to me and I was so upset, but I finally forgave them. So then you go to the next person and say, well, this is what happened to me and I was so upset, but I finally forgave. Well, no, don't, don't go down there. Uh, that, that's one of those signs. Say, so if you're doing that kind of thing, um, you're probably not really forgiven him yet. You're still grappling with it. And now that's not to say that you don't always tell somebody, you never tell somebody, because there are some things you need to tell people about. I mean, I mean if someone has abused you or if there is something that you know where somebody else is going to get in trouble because of something, you need to go and tell somebody in authority about those things or, or you need to share to protect the life and well-being of others. So it's not that you never say something that somebody did to you, but it's just that it's not part of your regular conversation trail with everybody that you meet, right? You get that. Okay, so the, th the third thing is this, is that forgiveness means that you also don't remind yourself about what you've forgiven. <laughs> because sometimes we do that. Sometimes, okay, we're not saying anything to the person and we're not saying anything to anybody else, but we're still reminiscing over and over and over and over again in our heads. We're saying, I'm, boy, that really bugs me that they did this to me. And, and, we, and we kind of recycle all that stuff over. And there, we, we begin to fester. It begins to fester all over again in our minds. And there, there, that's part of that forgiveness process. You'll know you're, how far you are in that forgiveness process when, when you, don't, you don't keep just reminiscing about old stuff that happened to you, even if you're not talking about it out there. You begin to just say, you know what, I don't have to go there. I, I really like the phrase somebody told me one time. Uh, I, I think it had to do with, with, uh, with looking on a, a woman, I think. As somebody was, I was at a men's meeting or something like that, and we were talking about, 
you know, you can't, you can't help when a, when a beautiful lady walks by, you can't help but go, oh my goodness. But you don't have to keep looking, you know. And, and, and the phrase they used was, you know, you can't, you can't stop an unwanted ship from going by the harbor, but you don't have to give it harbor. You know, you, you can't stop a ship from walking, driving by, or flying, sailing by the, the port of entry, but you don't have to say, come on in and drop anchor. And, and the same kind of thing with our, with our offenses that we have experienced in our lives. That, you know, sometimes those things are going to pop up in our heads, but you don't have to just let it camp out. Does that make sense? That, that he's saying, there's another way of doing this stuff. And, and sometimes when you get there, you just have to say, God, <laughs> God, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me do just a little differently. You're going to have to help me remember that this is something forgiven and I'm going on. And it is a process. Forgiveness does not happen just usually in a snap moment. It is, it is that process of saying, God, you can have it. I'm not going to exact payment on this. I'm going to let it go. And the last thing he says about, about clothing yourselves is, is this idea of love. And I, sorry, I don't, have a, I don't have a one-line definition for love. It just was too big for me. I thought, what can I say here? I can't say anything about a one-liner. It says, but, but he says, over all these things, put on love. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That, that is the, the key that makes it all happen. And, and, and I think Paul said this because... Because uh, he understood with what God understood is that <clears throat> it's not easy to live like this. I mean, I've kind of flown by this list, but when you really go down and you think, how am I living my life in connection to these things? And, and I think all of us would say, uh, I make that one okay, and this one's okay, and this one's uh, struggling with this a little bit. And, and we could go through and think about particular situations, particular names and faces that would come to us, and, and we're kind of overwhelmed with that. But he goes back and he just says, uh, it's just love. In the end, it's just love. Just start with love. He says, let love hold all those other things together. We just pray those kinds of prayer that says, God, help me to love people like you love people. Help me to feel like you feel. Help me to do what you would do. And, and Lord, teach me today to do a little better than I was yesterday. Help me just to take one step forward today from where I was before, right? Because you're not going to go from, from one, you know, struggle with something into I'm a perfect saint on all this. It, it is God help me every day just to be one step closer to living out who you are in this particular area in my life, right? And that's the love. And we just live in that loving presence with him. And we do that. So, so that's the first thing he says. He says, you know, if we're going to live like Christ, we've got to put on the character of Christ. This, we've got to put on the love of Christ. We've got to live in those kind of things. But we also have to understand that we've got to let Christ rule in our life, the peace of Christ rule in our lives. Uh, that, that's his sense of, of where he says in Colossians 3.15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And this word rule is this idea and literally means to umpire, to umpire. So, so you have to picture we're at a baseball game. Uh, we're, we're at a Padres game. This doesn't happen too often, but the, they're running in from third base to a home plate to score a run, and uh, they're hoping for that. So, so the guy is running in, and he makes this big slide, and the catcher's there, and the ball's flying in, and, and he's there, and, and, you know, and you ask yourself the question, who's the most important person in that picture? 
But the reality is it's not the third baseman, it's not the catcher, it's not the ball, it's not the pitcher, it's not the outfielders, it's not any of those things. It's the umpire, because the umpire is going to make a decision about what's happening at that home plate. And we live with that. So we have to say to ourselves, who is the umpire of our lives? Paul says, let the peace of Christ be your umpire. Uh, Let the peace of Christ be the one who guides how you make decisions about life, how you deal with the stuff of life. Because, you know, we all face various areas of craziness in our life, right? There's craziness at work. There's bizarre new behaviors that our children are experiencing. There is uh, new health issues. There's new relationship issues. There's always stuff going on in our lives. And, And we have to ask the question, Who's going to make the decisions about this? Who's going to be the umpire of when I come into this conflict, when a decision about I'm going to go this way or that way, who's the umpire? Paul says, let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Because otherwise what we end up with is we end up letting our emotions or our feelings be the umpire. We say, well, this is the way I feel, so I'm just going to respond the way. Well, maybe, maybe not. Well, we say, okay, well, this is a situation at work, and and my workplace is going to make the decision about who I am and what I am, and they're going to push me into one direction or whatever. And and, and we run into the letting other kinds of things and people and situations be the umpire about how we respond to situations in our lives. Our anger, our disappointments, our hurts, those kinds of things can rise up and say, well, I'll tell you how to decide about this. And Paul says... No, if we're going to live like Jesus, we probably need to let the peace of Christ be our umpire, be the one who makes decisions about how these things work. Well, how do you get there? What's that like? Because that's not always an easy thing to do, especially in the context of our relationships. But even out in the world and all that kind of stuff, we, we run into challenges that way. And Paul talks about three things that that can help us along that line. And, and the first one is this. He just says, we, we've got to remember that we are members of one body. We are members of one body. And, and I think this is saying two things for us. First of all, I think it says that, that we live in relationship with the people around us, especially within the context of the church. And sometimes we think, well, we're making these decisions and it's, and it's us and them, or it's me and them. or we're, you know, We, we kind of have this divided sense when we're trying to let this where is this decision point going to come? And, and we have this separation. But Paul says, you know what? There, it's, not, it's not us and them. It's us. It's just us. We are, we are one. We are one in the body of Christ. And so when, when you have issues about decisions that have to be made, you have to remember, you know what? At the bottom line, we are just one body here. When you're out in the world and you're in the workplace, and, and even though they're out in different places and they not, may not be in the same place where you are spiritually and all those things, it helps us to remember also that, you know, we're all part of the human family, right? And we need to give each other a little grace and mercy in that process. So he said, that's a, so that's the first part of that one member, one body kind of thing. The second side of this is to say, this piece of Christ stuff ruling your life is not easy to do on your own. When you're on your own trying to deal with this stuff, we tend to respond to our feelings. We say, well, this is the way I feel. This is what I think. This is what I want to do. And so we just respond that way. But he's saying we are part of one body, which means it takes a family, right? 
It takes a body to do this stuff. That's, that's why it's important that you're talking to people of faith in the body of Christ. Because you talk about this situation. I've got this situation at home. I've got this situation at work. I've got this person that I'm having struggles with. And, and, and you can talk about that stuff and say, well, how do we respond to that? And, and within the body of Christ, there is this counsel and help and encouragement and prayer that comes that allows us to actually live this stuff out, right? Okay. And, well, say, say right. Yes, Don, say. Yes, Pastor. Thank you. Okay, good. Well, the, the second thing he says is that not only are we members of one body, but we have God's calling in our lives. The, this idea of peace is what you are called to. It, it is what God has chosen for us to be. In fact, he says to us in other passages of scriptures that we are to be peacemakers. We are people who in our very presence in the community and in the community, uh, we are to be people of peace. We are to be people that make those kinds of different kinds of ways of thinking about decisions and conflict and stress. That's what he calls us to be. And he says, and we have to understand, this is not just something we want to do or something we think we could do, but it's something that God has actually called you to do and be, right? So this just isn't pastor saying, oh, this is a good idea. No, God is calling us to be people of peace. That's the way we're supposed to function. And the third thing he says to us, he says, oh yeah, by the way, and be thankful. And be thankful. And, and there, here's, the, here's the real secret of all this. It's hard to kind of be cranky when you're being thankful, right? Uh, just start being thankful. If, you, if you're trying to say, okay, i got to let the peace of Christ rule in this situation, uh, this challenging situation, just start to be thankful. Find things that you can be thankful for. Thankful for a beautiful day. I'm thankful for a place that I live. I'm thankful for this situation. You know, I'm thankful for the good job that you did over here. This really stunk, but really thankful for <laughs> Find things that you're thankful for and, and begin to let that saturate how you are interacting in those kinds of situations and you will become a peacemaker rather than a peacebreaker, and uh, good things will happen out of that. So that's the first, the second thing that he says about, about this living out this life of Christ. Well, the third thing he talks about is the word of Christ. And he says the word of Christ has got to indwell within us. And Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. You know, and I, I, you hear me say this a lot, I can't say it enough, that, that this, this is real important to us, folks. Sorry. This is real important to us. The Word of God is our guide. It is the basis of who and what we are. And, and he's saying to us, let the Word of Christ dwell within you. Let this stuff sink deep into your souls. Let it be the thing that guides you and directs you and informs how you think about the world rather than us coming and informing the Bible about how the world thinks, right? It is what guides us, not the world guiding the Scriptures. And so he says, you've, you've got to be there. You've got to, you've got to read it. You've got to memorize it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to saturate your body with it, your mind with it. It's got to be part of who you are all the time because it is what's going to be our guide. It is how we're going to teach, how we're going to admonish. And so, so he talks about that. And, and I, so I just ask you this question. When you, think about, when you think about God's word, I just want to ask you, are, are you a tourist? Are you a tourist? Are you an explorer? Or are you a settler? 
I thought that was kind of fun. You know what a tourist is like? A tourist is someone who, who breezes through and kind of checks out some cool things. You know, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Uh, I'll flip over the Psalms, then I'll get something, and oh, that's cool. And, and we kind of breeze through. We find things that we think are interesting to us, things that, that kind of settle with us, and we, oh, yeah, that connects with me, and we, we kind of move on. And that, that's, uh, that's how our tourist goes on tour, and sometimes we read Scripture like that. That's our relationship with Scripture. But sometimes we're an explorer. Now, explorer is someone who's, who's a little more interested in searching out stuff. You know, they're, they're tracking down trails and they're looking at stuff and they're opening ways and they're, they're kind of got kind of cool stuff going on. That's kind of cool. And they can go through, they learn a lot of stuff and they have that all down there. But I like the idea of a settler because it kind of fits with Paul's word about dwelling. And this idea of a settler, settler comes in, finds a spot, camps out, you know, tills up the ground, builds a house, settles down and, and lives in it. And I want to say, you know what, I, I, I would, I'd like to see us all be settlers, right? And not just, not just breezing through the fun stuff, not just kind of exploring stuff and learning stuff and sticking it in our heads, but people who actually settle in this stuff and till it up and let it bear fruit in a harvest within our lives. That, that's what Paul's saying. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. Let it dwell. And when it dwells, we begin to do something. We begin to teach and admonish others. That, that's the point of, he's saying, let it dwell because what you say and do makes a difference. When you talk to others, you encourage others, you help others, you build them up. Those kinds of things. And, and you may not be doing that from a pulpit somewhere, but I tell you what, everywhere you go, you will have opportunities to do that. When somebody comes to you at work and says, you know, I've got this situation in my life. What, is it, what are you going to say to them? Well, you're going to say to them the word of Christ, right? I remember I was a counselor uh, years and years ago, went to school. I, my first career area was in, in counseling, and, and I was working in a community counseling center. It wasn't a Christian counseling center. But I tell you what, people begin to know who you are. And, and co-workers, they'd go off. They were going off and partying and doing their thing. And, you know, and I just, I, I knew I wasn't in that. I'd, I'd show up and I'd go to the party and I'd have a Coke and just kind of hang out with them. And I'd go home early and they'd be there trashed all night. You know, and they, they'd do their thing. And, but you know what? When they had a problem, who'd they call? they called me. David, could you pray for me? I've got this situation. My mom's sick, or I've got this, or I've got my boyfriend's mad at me, or whatever. And I'd say, yeah, I'd be happy to pray for you. God, God can do great things. We just have to trust him. And, you know, and, 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 and those are the kinds of opportunities that out there, you, you know, you're not necessarily in a Sunday school class or in the pulpit, but, but I tell you, out in the workplace, you have amazing opportunities to just proclaim the hope that you have within you and it comes from the word of Christ. What do you speak? I speak hope and truth because I have it from here, right? You're in home with your kids, all those kinds of situations. So he says, you're doing this, letting the word of Christ dwell in you so that you can teach and admonish others. And when, when this word of Christ is dwelling within you, guess what happens? You begin to want to sing about it. Now, everybody who's in the choir ought to memorize this passage of Scripture. Because uh, really, it, it, is your, it is your passage of Scripture. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing, teaching one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. 
Something happens when we begin to sing. I mean, I, I, we had a funny, I had a funny experience. Uh, this same young guy from, uh, that we had living with us from, from the South, uh, he came from a little different church background, and he couldn't figure out why we sang so much. He, he didn't come to church too much with us, but once in a while he did. And he couldn't figure out, why do you guys sing so much? He was used to a kind of a little more traditional kind of service where you kind of come in, do your thing, say your prayers, and go home. And, uh, and that's fine. But, but he, couldn't, he couldn't. He just said, I just sing too much. But, but I tell you what, there's a scriptural reason for that because something happens when we are dwelling, the word of Christ is dwelling within us, and we are teaching and administering, administering, admonishing one another, and you know how they're doing it? Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's something to that, that, that when we sing, we are proclaiming scriptural truth. And how many times we sing these songs, even the choruses, and, <laughs> and there is great scriptural truth in those songs. We are proclaiming the word of Christ. And when we do that, and others, we do that corporately, something wonderful happens, as people around us were saying, yes, I believe this stuff. He is victorious. Didn't you love that song today? Wasn't it great to have the choir back? They've been off for the summer, but they came back. Choir, you, those of you that are still in here, you did great, wonderful. But that victorious, victorious. You know, that, that's this wonderful, wonderful truth. We're singing those things. And in the midst of that, we find encouragement in our faith, right? There's something great about that. So, so anyway, so encourage one another. Okay, well, the last thing Paul says, if we're going to live this life of Christ, is that we've got to do everything in the name of Christ. Whatever you do, it says, verse 3, uh, 317, says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And, and we, we kind of get this. This is the idea. I say, no matter what we are doing, whether we're teaching a Sunday school class, whether we're ushering out, you know, greeting somebody, or, or whether we're at the grocery store, or whether we're, you know, playing golf, or whatever it is that we're doing, that's what I do. Uh, we're doing all things in the name of Jesus. Th that's what we're doing. But the question is, how do you do this name of Jesus stuff? Uh, but what we have to understand is that in, in back in the day, when you did something in somebody's name, it, it meant something. It meant that, that when I'm doing it in this person's name, I, I'm doing it with this other person's authority and plan and power behind it. So you get that? So, so when he's saying, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, he's saying, you know, whenever you go out and do stuff, you are doing it with the understanding that I am doing this on behalf of another person, and that other person is God. It says, I'm out here growing grocery shopping because God is at work in my life. I've told you the story how many times my wife gets in the grocery line and she begins to talk to somebody and she tells the story later and she says, well, this person was there, so I just assumed God wanted me to talk to them. I mean, who goes to the grocery store like that? Nobody but my wife. Well, a few of you do, but, but I mean, it's that mindset that says, I'm shopping, but I'm not really shopping. I'm just picking up stuff, but I'm really I'm really God's representative right here in this grocery store line right now. And, and, and it is the same kind of thing. When you're out there at work, wherever you're at, sitting at your desk, you're working out in the yard, you're doing whatever it is you're doing, it's that constant mindset that says, you know what, I'm God's representative in this place. What's God up to? What's God doing here right now in this place where I'm standing, where I'm living? 
and I'm available because I'm his ambassador. I'm his representative in this place at this moment at this time, right? We get that. So let me just close with this. Because, because this is what I understand. This has been really fast and, and a lot of stuff, a lot of information. But, but this I know. We want to do this, right? I mean, we want to live like Jesus. That, 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 that is, I think, every believer's aspiration is to say, God, help me to just live like you live. Help me to be Christ in this place, in this time, in my world, in what I do. But the reality is, is that's a pretty overwhelming concept. Even though we, we want to put on the character of Christ, even though we want to be ruled by the peace of Christ, and we want to let his word dwell within us, and we want to live day by day, moment by moment, in everything we do for him, it is a challenging piece of idea to, uh, to actually pull off. But I really like what, what Paul does before he tells them all this long list of things to do, he tells them some really important facts about who they are in Christ. Right at the beginning, he says, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, right? That's important. Because when we think about it, well, I want to be, I want to be God's person. I want, to, I want to live like Christ. I want to do all this stuff. And yet I know that I don't always do all this stuff. But three things that I think Paul reminds us that we need to think about in that process. And the first one is this, is that you are a chosen person. God has already chosen you. That's important. You don't have to earn his choice. He said, for God so loved the world. <laughs> the good news is that's you and me. That's everybody. That's the person you think God could never love that person. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> oh, yes, he does. See, that's what Jesus came. Jesus came to earth. He suffered. He died. He was rose again. He rose again. All of that stuff. He did all of that stuff to just proclaim how much he loves us. And, and, and what that means for us when we think about, I want to I be like Christ. I want to live a life like Christ. Is that it takes the pressure off of us. Because we're not performing for his love. He already loves us. And because he's chosen us already, because he is already loving us, we have the opportunity to choose to love him and to love others. That, that's, that's just a simple thing. We're chosen people. Second thing he says is that we, we are holy people. We are holy people. And he says to, these, to the Colossians, he says, because you have received his love and forgiveness by faith, Paul tells them that they're already holy. And now, now this holy here in this particular context says that they are set aside for a purpose. That they are set aside for a purpose. Now just let me ask you this question. If God has called you, chosen you, and he set you aside for a purpose... Don't you think he's going to want to help you in that purpose? He's not going to say, hey, you know, I, David, I, I'd love for you to be a follower of mine. I'd love for you to receive my love. And I'd love for you to live out my life everywhere that you go and then throw stumbling blocks in front of me all the time. 
God's not going to do that. God is on our side. He wants us, he wants to help us to live the kind of life that he's calling us to live, right? He's, he's on our side. That, that's, that's what that means. You're a holy people. You're set aside for a purpose, and that purpose is to live out Christ. And, and he's, he's going to help us in that. We're not on our own. And the third thing is just simply this, and this is, for me, something big for me. It says, you are a dearly loved person. You know. God thinks you're it. God thinks you're the bomb in few years back terminology. When you walk into the room, God's heart goes pitter-patter. God's excited about who you are, and he loves you. He knows you. He knows where you struggle. He knows what, what uh, issues you face in your life. He knows what you're going to become. He knows what it's going to take to get you there. And he is walking with you in that process because you are his dearly beloved. Isn't that good? He's calling us to this really big thing, this really big thing about living out Christ in our lives. But he says, ladies and gentlemen, before you ever get started, just know this. God loves you. He's calling you. And he's on your side. He's going to help you to do it. Right? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and praise you for your great love for us. Lord, we want to live like Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. Lord, we're not going to be able to do that on our own. We could have done it. We would have done it. But Lord, you're going to help us. You challenge us, you call us, you walk with us, you love on us, you empower us, you strengthen us. And Lord, there are probably all kinds of points down through this list of stuff we've talked about that, Lord, we need specific help with. I pray, Lord, today that you would just speak to the hearts and minds of my people. Lord, you know the point. You, you, you know the little spot where they need to work. Lord, would you encourage them today to know that you're on their side to help them? Just one step forward. Something a little more than they were yesterday. Lord, we know that you love us. And we choose to love you back. We trust you, your will and your purposes in our lives. And so help us this day, Lord, to just say yes. Yes to you. Yes to your will. Yes to living out the life of Jesus. Lord, it all starts with you. I just pray, Lord, that uh, if there's some here in this place, Lord, that need to just say to you afresh and new, God, I need you. Come take charge of my life afresh and new. That's all it takes, just a word. No magic, no, nothing fancy. Just God, I choose you. I choose your love. Amazing love. Love divine, all love excelling. I choose you. Because you've chosen us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.